0: I'm never going to not like Pirates, Mom. So it's, it is still that way. There's a lot of Beatles posters from my high school era, but they're all mixed <laughs> in with the Pirates stuff.
1: Hi, and welcome to Episode of My name is Brandon Sparks. And
0: I'm Thomas Horton.
1: And here on Center Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. But here on the show, we also love talking about directors... And not all directors can be placed into one specific genre. So this month we have been talking about one director the entire month. Um, If you're just now joining us this month, welcome to the final episode of our series on film director Peter Weir. And for all you weirdos, as uh, Thomas calls you, thank you for staying with us the entire month. Um, But before we dive into the final section of Peter Weir's career at the moment... Um, Thomas, can you tell the people who Peter Weir is and what we've learned about him so far this month?
0: Peter Weir is an Australian film director who broke into the scene during the Australian New Wave movement in the 70s and a little bit into the 80s uh, and then made his way over into American films. He kind of had his American breakout with an Australian film called The Year of Living Dangerously, and then came over, made two <coughs> films with Harrison Ford in the 80s. And then Dead Poet Society, the rest is kind of history. Yeah, leads us into made a couple other films we talked about last week: Green Card, Fearless. Mm-hmm. Then that leads us into uh, into the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, which is uh, where we're gonna be today.
1: Which it might be
0: his greatest section of his career, honestly. It's it's hard, man. I it's, de- it's um,
1: debatable. It's debatable.
0: I spent a little time today. Making a list, and I'm no—I know it'll change, but I knew you were also going to ask me at some point today what my rankings were, so I put one together. I've got one ready to go. I know it's not permanent, but yeah. it's how I'm feeling right now.
1: Yeah, I I also have a list similar similarly, uh, where it's what I felt in the moment, and I moved it around a little bit the past few days, but right now this is where I, this is what I'm feeling. Um, but yeah, so with Peter Weir, as we've talked about, he's kind of the one director out of the Australian New Wave movement that really broke out in a big way. Mm-hmm. Like, we there were directors like Bruce Beresford, um, Julian Armstrong, um, uh, George Miller. Uh, I think George Miller is probably the big one that everyone knows because of Mad Max and Mad Max Fury Road. But Weir was one that I think was able to break into American audiences, but then able to sustain, sustain that um sustain that kind of success throughout multiple decades in America yeah. um with the 80s and 90s being the the big kind of chunk of it so with today we're talking about the last three films he's made up to this date because Peter Weir is hasn't made a film since 2010 which is kind of sad mm-hmm. uh he's 76 so people I mean people are still in their 70s making movies nowadays uh But being as the last one was 2010, I mean, he was 66 or so when he made it. But today, the last three films we're talking about in his career so far are The Truman Show came out in 1998. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World came out in 2003. And then The Way Back, not the Ben Affleck movie, but the one that came out
0: in 2010, also, with, not the Sam Rockwell movie.
1: Not the Sam Rockwell movie. Not the Way Way Back.
0: There's so many letterbox reviews for the Way Back that was like yeah. they never went to a water park in this movie.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna be talking about today. I said Truman Show. We're gonna start off with first, and I think for us, why I say this might be his best section of his career because I know I don't want you to tip your hand right now, but I feel like one of my favorite films Weir has done. Is in this section. And I think one of your favorite films Weir has done is also in this section.
0: I think you would be correct in assuming that, yes.
1: <laughs> so I think it's the first time that's kinda of actually happened um in this epi- in this in the series so far. So let's start off with this first one of this section from nineteen ninety-eight, the Truman Show. Thomas, what is the Truman Show about?
0: The Truman Show is about a man named Truman, played by Jim Carrey who lives in this very idyllic seaside town and it, it just all kind of comes off as, as very um, like, leave it to beaver, you know, everything's perfect. Everyone's friendly. Everything's very like, even though it's, it kind of seems to be modern day. Like it's also kind of like fifties esque. and come to find out it is revealed to us later on that Truman has been raised his entire life within a reality show without knowing it. He, every moment of his life is being broadcast on a TV channel that is dedicated to 24/7 Truman and everyone else in his life surrounding him are actors. And it is all overseen by this producer known as Christoph played by Ed Harris. Um, Some of the other cast, Laura Linney places his wife, who is an actress who has been Cast as his wife, um, and so we watch the we watch it play out through Truman's eyes, but also through the eyes of a lot of the people who are watching the Truman Show. We're kind of introduced to this cast of of Truman fans that we yeah. keep kind of cutting back to to get their reactions. But uh, we we are there for Truman to kind of start questioning his reality and and slowly start to realize that that something's going on. It's not entirely clear that Truman ever really understands what is going on. No. You know? But um he knows it, that something's going
2: on.
1: Yeah. It's kind of the I mean I, Truman show I think we're gonna spoil a little bit because I feel like it's the one that a lot of people have seen the most of. I mean it, it is Weir's most popular film. Um and if you have but you haven't seen it or you want to rewatch it, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime and Hulu. Yeah, the Truman Show, I wish I could go back and watch this movie without knowing anything about it Hmm. because I wonder like, cause I was, I mean, I was like seven or so when it came out and I think I saw it in theaters, if I'm not mistaken, because it was Jim Carrey and big Jim Carrey fan as a kid. And I feel like it would have, cause the the shock to me is that you have like a quick cut of Ed Harris, the very beginning of the film, but then you don't see behind the scenes at all for almost an hour of the film. It's literally mm-hmm. I think the midpoint of the movie is when you finally see Ed Harris as Christoph and them basically the orchestrations of the Truman show. And it's kind of an it's kind of like uh ingenious of how they do that, how they're able to hold it for so long and then just when you like you don't know how far you can go with the whole Truman show storyline we cut and reveal this new piece of information. I mean,
0: it's just like the they structure. give you that. They give you that little like it's really well done exposition. That like, yeah, this new, is what the Truman Show is all yeah. about. Yeah, the little thing that's that's running on the on the TV channel.
1: Been running for thirty years. Like it's it's mm-hmm. a. And it kind of gives you the whole backstory of how the Truman Show came about, and it yeah, and it, it does it right in the middle to where like it it there's a thing where like you need to hold like sometimes you need to hold the exposition as long as possible to where the audience is trying to work through it all but you don't want to make them confused for too long and yep. that it's just right at a certain moment it just gives you enough where it's a show this guy is the producer of it truman is owned by a corporation technically because he was adopted by a corporation uh so it's like it's all these different things they're all actors and actresses and so it's a very <laughs> it's just a smart way to do it but yeah i, I would just i would wonder and reading the reviews too And seeing how everyone loves the movie, but comparing it to films that I don't think this movie is at all. Like, I saw a lot of people say it's like Forrest Gump. And it's funny to think, because the idea is like he's kind of of his own world or something. I don't know what, like, he's, he's, it's the 1950s kind of vibe to it. I don't
0: know what it is, but a lot of it is kind of the, the kind of like almost blindly optimistic.
1: Yes, yes. He accepts the world they're given kind of thing. But it's, but when when I think of Truman Show, I don't think of Forrest Gump. No. But it, it's funny to think that at this moment in time when this came out, reality television, and that really wasn't a thing. You had things like Real World on MTV and, and uh, shows like that, but it wasn't as mainstream as it what became in the early 2000s. And then to now where literally everyone's sharing... So much information about themselves, and we're we we live in front of a camera. A lot of people live in front of the camera.
0: Where did when did when did Ed TV drop? I feel like I remember Ed (laughs) TV being like around the same time as Truman Show and just being like, Oh, you guys, you guys thought you had the Truman Show, but you do not. This is not not."
1: 99, so a year later. Yep,
0: one year later. But the thing, so
1: so to hop into that though, uh, Andrew Nichols, who wrote the script, his script had been hopping around town for a while. So this movie came out in 98, but they were they actually were trying to make this movie in like 95 mm-hmm. is when they tried to start it. But what ended up happening was, again, as we've kind of said before with Weir, with I think with Green Card, with Gerard Depardieu, Carey would not be available for a year. And so they waited a full year for Jim Carrey to like schedule a clear up so they could do a Truman Show.
0: Yeah, because a lot of people, I think it's it's easy in hindsight to forget just how quickly Jim Carrey like exploded <laughs> onto the scene. Because it was what yeah. it was: Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask all came all, out the same all year. all the
1: same year, ninety yeah. four. Yeah, I think we looked at I looked at it with some friends like a, a year or so ago, and I think that the box office total for all of those films together in the same year. In ninety four, in nineteen ninety four, was $750 like fifty million dollars, like it was insane, like he was probably outside of maybe Tom Hanks and maybe Tom Cruise, the biggest star in Hollywood, and it happened in a in a year, and he had been he had been hopping around a for years of like being in Living Color and being in stand up, but like in ninety four, I don't know if there's been a rise as quickly as Jim Carrey in the nineties,
0: because in the year after that, he's doing Batman forever and he's a, he's the Riddler. Like people have had breakout movies before, but no one's had three breakout movies <laughs> the same drop year. in the same year. Yeah.
1: And, and, and make like the mask made $351 million worldwide. And then dumb and dumber made $270 million worldwide. When Ace Ventura only made 107, it was his lowest one of the three, which is crazy thing but received a golden globe nomination for the mask as well was yet yeah, was voted second, uh, that year as top 10 money-making stars behind Tom Hanks. Yeah. So it's, so when you think of this and he's being known for comedy stuff is that at a certain point, Carrie's wanting to break out of this kind of stigma of being the Hollywood's leading comedy guy.
0: Well, not just being cause you know, there's a difference between being like a comedy guy and being like the rubber face comedy guy which is mm-hmm. what jim carrey was yes you know you can you can have a rep. i mean hanks had a reputation as being a comedy guy but he was never like a rubber face comedy guy and that's a yeah. lot harder to break out of i think
1: yeah and because because basically he's playing a caricature or something is kind of mm-hmm. the whole thing so yeah he does the mask or ace ventura the mask dumb and dumber ace ventura 2 the cable guy Liar, liar, and then Truman Show. Apparently, Weir cast him because of Ace Ventura. <laughs> so, so I, I want to break down this the behind the scenes of this real quick because I think the Truman Show, how it all got made, is kind of fascinating and also very important to Weir's voice as a filmmaker. So, Andrew Nichol wrote the script. As I said, it' had been hopping around for a wh- hopping around town for a while. Originally called the Malcolm Show. Will there be transformed into the Truman Show? The original idea was Truman lived in this rainy, dark set of New York City. Sounds like basically what it was. So he lived in New York. It's like Seven meets Big Brother is kind of what people have been pitching it as. He's Hmm. like an alcoholic, kind of deranged. He's cheating on his wife with the prostitute. Uh, He starts to have doubts about his reality he ends up at one there's a couple scenes where he ends up like threatening a woman that he's going to kill her baby if she doesn't say who he is like it's dark it's a very dark film and i think the ending the ending of the movie spoiler if you ever want to read the truman show script but the ending when when in 98 version when he walks out of the door at the end and the one of the original versions He walks out of the door, winds up on a Hollywood back lot, runs around and takes a tour guide and the tour hostage and has a standoff with Kristoff at the end of the movie. Vastly different film than what we have here. And so we're at one point contacts his agent and says, hey, send me all your broken scripts. And they send him the script to the Truman Show. And he loves the idea of it. He talks to Andrew Nickel because Nickel apparently, before Weir ever got involved, there were like 16 different versions of The Truman Show before Weir gets involved. And Andrew Nickel later wrote and directed Gattaca, which came out, I think, a year before this, uh, eventually, and then ended up doing like movies like End Time with Justin Timberlake. So he's a very sci fi kind of heavy writer director and the original script for truman show makes sense with those type films that he would later make
0: yeah i but mean that almost sounds like the matrix
1: yeah exactly cuz that's kind of happening at that point of like the matrix dark city these kind of movies where a lead character begins doubting their reality and this kind of that would kind of fit into that mold but then weir comes in and goes hey cuz basically what it, truman truman is still being watched by millions of people around the world and they're watching the show. And Weir comes in with some great logic and goes, "Okay, I don't think a Hollywood producer would spend a, spend that much money to build an entire New York City, like to scale mm-hmm. somewhere else on a soundstage. So why would they do that? Also, why would people for thirty years or so watch this guy grow up in this dark world? They watch stuff. They watch TV or movies to escape." why not make it this some type, some type of utopia like on this beach beach town or something and that's when sea haven comes into play and it switches to this idyllic uh american american town uh island basically with sea haven and yeah. i just think that is a ingenious uh choice the original director by the way thomas can you guess who it was supposed to be with the original script
0: uh the Wachowskis.
1: No, not the Wachowskis, but Brian De Palma.
0: Okay, yep. Very neon.
1: So it makes sense.
0: But yeah, I was gonna say, as we have seen recently with a huge piece of pop culture, you know, people like to look back on like nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, sitcom yeah as, as an escape from from kind of modern culture. And and so I think that was a that was a great energy to tap into. I mean even even if you think back a lot of that early maybe not the real world as much, but a lot of those early, like follow reality shows, like, you know, one of the first big ones was Osborns. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that was like, yeah, they're vulgar and they're crazy, but they're, they're a family like that. That yeah, all yeah. the marketing was like, ultimately they're a family and they yeah. love each other. And, you know, we hadn't really developed the like, Oh yeah. I just want all the drama. I want to watch people's lives fall apart, which we, we yeah. have, which has, has developed now. Uh, but, uh, at that point, reality TV was still kind of, you know, we had fear factor and, and survivor mm-hmm. coming up, but, but a lot of it was still kind of like watch normal people and see that they're just like us. Yeah.
1: And that is kind of how the Truman, sh- like that's, that's the Truman show. It's like it, Christoph says like people use him for comfort. Like sometimes they'll even leave the TV on at night as they fall asleep. Cause he brings, cause Truman brings them comfort. So weir has to wait for a year to make this movie. He thinks about casting other people because they're having to wait for uh, Jim Carrey. Who do you think was considered for the role? Hanks. There's three people. Tom Hanks is one.
0: Well, I mean, this would be like '97, right? Um, yeah. Keanu. Not Keanu.
1: Think I'll just think. I mean, Keanu would kind of follow this, but mega movie star in mid '90s. Will Smith, not Will Smith. I'll just tell you, uh, Tom Cruise was okay, considered. Got to go and, with the, the Toms and Robin Williams. Okay. Weir's logic with this, because I, because I think his logic with the this this movie is 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 very on point. He goes again, you have to cast a charismatic lead. Like you have to basically cast a movie star, because again. Who is going to watch this person grow up for 30 years? Like, how is this going to run for 30 years unless this person is, like, just so electric you have to watch them? And so that's why Jim Carrey is considered. Because Jim Carrey, again, at this point, is a huge movie star. So it would make sense that you would watch one of these people on the television. So what I... Because I watch this weirdly... A few weeks ago, before we even got to this kind of section, I was back home and it was, it was on cable late at night and I put it on. I didn't put the sound on. But what I find so fascinating with the acting of this movie is that, and it's so subtle, is that all the actors outside of Carrie, they're just a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little bit stilted where you, if you're really paying attention, you can tell there's something false behind what they're saying. And you notice it more and more after you've watched it a lot, but Carrie throughout the entire thing feels completely natural. Yeah, and it's it's such a like subtle thing, but it's done I think perfectly. Like Laura Linney specifically, I want to bring her because Laura Linney. I, I'm just saying La That thing at this point, Laura Linney hadn't done that much in movies. Like she'd done Primal Fear and like Congo. So <laughs> love
0: Congo big congo fan big you're congo gonna hear fan. any congo slander from me.
1: <laughs> but yeah lenny i think has that that has it pretty much down to a t of how to create somewhat of a false note to where if you're paying attention you can really find that i kind love of, that
0: and I, I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead to like favorite fine. scenes but i love the first time she does like the little infomercial because one of the things is they they have advertising yeah they sell advertising within the truman show and one of the ways they sell advertising is they'll for like cooking appliances and stuff they'll have laura lenny's character like show it off so truman will come home from work and she'll be like look honey i'm working in the kitchen with this new you know electronic slicer or whatever and and the first time she does that you're just like what it's
1: it's the knives when he's like out like like trimming or cutting the grass and she goes "It slices and dices in all these different ways (laughs) and he goes great (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh, so i was watching behind the scenes of this too uh with lenny and again this is kind of a peter weir kind of asked them or whatever to no i think peter weir wrote backstories for all the characters Mm. and gave them to them and they also developed it more and lenny talked about how she sees her character uh meryl i'm sorry hannah is uh is her, the she's an actress playing an actress essentially who is playing a character so so the right. actress the actress name is hannah gill and she's playing meryl burbank truman's wife but hannah gill she she she's this whole thing of like oh i think she's like kind of a, a shrewd businesswoman like i i see her when the, she's not on the show at some huge conference room with this long table making deals of all the endorsements that she's doing or Anytime that she has sex with Truman, she gets a bump in pay. Like it's all these like things that she's adding to this character. And so why she's, be- she becomes the endorsement person is because people love her so much. She's able to kind of like use that personality, that culture that's around her with that to essentially like benefit her to where once she leaves the show, she can go do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, well, let's jump into favorite scenes. So what, what are some favorite scenes for you in this movie?
0: Uh, anything with the, the, best friend um yeah i forget that actor's i forget that actor's name noah emmerich noah emmerich yeah he's yeah. always no emmerich's always solid he's one of those character actors when he when he shows up you're like all right all right but he that that one's almost heartbreaking because you you talked about like everyone feels a little bit off and i'm sure like there you there's this kind of question throughout the movie especially once you you find out what's going on if he really how how he specifically you can already tell that like hannah doesn't really care for truman much yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> you know it starts to kind of bleed through but but yes. he's he's the one that you can't really tell if he like yeah. actually really likes and and they've grown up together even exactly. more so than hannah he's been around since he was a kid he was a child actor seven, seven years old seven yeah. years old yeah yeah so i love that that scene we get with them kind of on the bridge um just kind of to establish their friendship when they're kind of talking about. What's going on with Truman and and he's kind of starting to bring up these ideas of like what if we get off of the island and he's like you don't want to get off the island you love it here yeah
1: it's all it's all those scenes where it's like when or because because Truman keeps like saying like a couple times like I'm going man I'm getting out of here or it's like when you when you worked on the island when you were like teen like a teenager or whatever like where all'd you go to he goes I went everywhere he goes but well, none's great as this place man this great mm-hmm. this place is great
0: you know I'm thinking
3: about getting out Marlon yeah. Out of what? Out of my job. Out of sea. Off this island, out. Out of your job? What the hell's wrong with your job? You have a great job, Truman. You have a desk job. I'd kill for a desk job. There you
0: go. You should try stocking vending machines for a living. Oh, thanks. Now, there's excitement.
3: <laughs> Don't you ever get antsy? Itchy feet. Where's there to go? Fiji.
0: (laughs) Where the hell is Fiji? Near Florida? Mm.
3: See here? Yeah. This is us. (laughs) And all the way around here, Fiji. You can't get any further away before you start coming back. You know, there are still islands in Fiji where no human being has ever set foot. So when are you going to go? It's not that simple. It takes money, planning. You can't just up and go. Right. I'm going to do it. Don't worry about that. Bonus time is just around the corner. And that's what
1: I find interesting, too, with this movie, is that everyone's telling Truman how great sea haven is yeah never leave i i always i kind of always tell people this is the anti it's a wonderful life because everyone's telling him don't leave truman like this this place is great there's no place better and truman like george bailey in it's a wonderful life he wants to explore he wants to get out of this town and like see the world but something always gets in his way and the ending of it's a wonderful life is the whole like oh but you have your family you're a rich man just because of that the it's the people you help and all that but truman that doesn't happen for him what he ends up finding out is that it's all fake yeah all of them are fake everything that's been this whole american dream this whole uh, uh idyllic world that i live in is all fake and it's the what do i choose from the, like to stay in this world or go away but no back to like no emmerich yeah he talked about how like his character is very interesting because he's also grown up, like you said, in front of the camera, like Truman. Hannah comes in when she's like a teenager, when she's kind of probably like making up her own decisions on or making her decisions on her own to be an actress. Mm-hmm. When you're seven as a child actor, you're kind of like you could like I mean the th- like who are his who is his real family? This is a whole deep conversation of like the back like the uh, the backstory of all these characters in Truman Show, but like. Did his parents give him up for adoption to be in the show as well? Or his parents' actors as well in the show? Like, the world of The Truman Show. I really do think, I texted you during this, about how I think a lot of Peter Weir's movies could be TV shows. And this specifically is one where I was like, like, what's the backstories of all the people who work oh, in yeah. this well, you world?
0: Know, you know, if you, do, if you do this into a series, you get like three or four episodes in. Yeah. And then you just have that episode that, like, follows Noah Emmerich as he goes yeah, home. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, yes, breaks exactly. The, bu- the first episode to, like, break the bubble, you just follow him on his way home.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, um, I think you would do all that where you're, where you're doing, like, specific episodes, like, one that focus on on his character, uh, Lewis Coltrane. Uh, or, Mar- or, yeah, Marlon. is, Or that he's playing the character, Mark God. But, yeah, Lewis <laughs> Coltrane. Lu- uh, uh, Lewis Coltrane is the character he's playing. You'll see an episode of him, but you'll also see like an episode of Hannah going off and doing her yeah. thing. Like I think I think it'd be fascinating for me. I want to see hit. an
0: episode where Hannah goes on a date.
1: Oh yeah, like outside of the world. Yeah. Oh man. Somebody's like, oh like, Oh, you're
0: married to Truman, and she's like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, yeah, we're yeah, on yeah. A date right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, that's that's a, that's a that's a part I play. Um, no, but yeah. So going off of that with Lenny, because you talk about how like uh, Truman knows that like you can tell that, that Hannah or Meryl. Doesn't like Truman. And I love the scene where Carrie, I think after everything's gone crazy, he's run off after the cop says his name. Like, thank you. Or, or, or are you too, Truman? Is what he says when he kind of mm-hmm. has this kind of freak out. And he just goes, why don't you like me? Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of, it's it just shows you how natural and real Truman is. Is that he's known forever, like just in terms of a marriage, not in terms of like her as an actress, but like in their marriage that she like has been faking it for so long mm-hmm. that she doesn't truly love him and he doesn't know why she's with him. Um, And I just love that scene. It becomes that big fight between them where she's just like where it's finally revealed. And again, it's, it's the, the first time where it's really revealed of the behind the scenes when she yells, "Uh, somebody do something," yeah. in that part, because it cuts to a shot of a monitor, and that's the first time we've seen that really the entire time. That's yeah. where kind of the wall breaks, is in that moment, and then it goes into the scene when his father shows back up, and then we cut to Kristoff and the team.
0: Some of my favorite little bits in this movie are when the cracks start to show. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. maybe it's also kind of me coming from a producer standpoint. I love the moments when you see like the little bit actors that aren't supposed to have an influence and how much influence they can have over the show. Like you were talking about with that cop, that cop that he's some extra that's been stationed on the very edge of the map. Dude, he's dude, got fired. To...
1: dude got fired after that. After yeah, that, he's never that right supposed now. to
0: ever see Truman. You know, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things. He probably, he was like, ah, oh, I got cast as an extra on the Truman show. They were like, Oh my God, are you going to see Truman? He's like, no, I'll never see Truman. <laughs> um, Another mm-hmm. thing I love and it's introduced early on is like and they talk about it in that scene we brought up before is like Truman being obsessed with Fiji. Yeah. And then I, I love when they give us that kind of his backstory with Sylvia and it, it all boils down to like the actor. They just like called in to play her dad real quick. Yeah. <laughs> they Like, where are yeah. you going? He's like, I don't know. Fiji. <laughs> like, yeah. Fiji. We're moving, we're moving to Fiji. <laughs> he just like thought of somewhere far away. And that became like this huge. Just obsession with Truman for the rest of the the show. This this goal that he's trying to
1: obtain, this place yeah, he's it's, trying it's to go. Like this
0: gigantic, just awful improv show. You're just yeah. you're just stuck in an improv show, and these little choices these like bit improv actors make influence the rest of your life.
1: I mean, even like the fa- like his father's showing back up as the homeless person. Like yeah. basically, he probably needed a job, needed some
0: work. He's like, let me go back and like get get back on the Truman show set. As someone, as someone who used to have that job at a a TV network, almost like I had a lot, I did a lot of other things, but like 75% of my job was making sure that like someone who played this character, someone who played a serial killer in CSI wasn't also playing like a love interest on a, on a sitcom the same night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a ton of work, and sometimes people people do slip through the cracks. Yeah, and people catch you immediately, especially now in the age of the internet. People are like, "That guy was on Big Bang Theory five seasons ago. Why is he on Young Sheldon now?" It's like, Ugh. yeah, playing a different you know how character. Many, completely. You know how many extras we deal with? How many like character actors we deal with on a daily basis? Come on.
1: Well, that's one. That's actually a good deleted scene. We t- we talked about deleted scenes in Dead Poet Society as well, and I've actually watched now. I've watched a lot of the deleted scenes for Truman Show, Master and Commander. And the, there's a lead scene where a homeless guy comes up and Truman sh- and Truman gives him like food is what it is. And then like a few days later and the guy and the guy homeless guys in a wheelchair is what it is. And he's like kind of disheveled and dirty and comes up and he hands him a, like, a sandwich or whatever. And then it's a few days later. And Truman sees that dude like jogging with a woman and he's in like clean clothes, like a jogging outfit. He goes, "Hey, I know you. I gave you the sandwich. You. He goes, I don't know who you're talking about, man. I don't know who you are. Like, what do you do?" And he goes, "No, I saw you. You looked at me. Like, he. That's when he starts like really doubting what is happening, and he's starting to see people pop up in other jobs and in the life.
0: That's that's why I I really do think this would be such a good TV show because no, it's not realistic. You could just sit and poke holes in how this can never work, but I think it's more fun." to think about how this could work
1: (laughs) well you you gotta think so so truman's 30 so truman's 30 so that means he's born basically kind of our around our age like 90 91 give or take he could have been born even a little bit later so that means he has been in a world that is kind of uh sheltered it's cut off from the world so you could theoretically have stuff happen in that world that's not happening nowadays does that make sense because I mean, to Truman you know, that's, that's to Truman, that he wouldn't know
0: that came up it was so fascinating early during COVID I don't know if you remember the German version of Big Brother was shooting yes and yes. there was this whole debate as to whether or not to tell them about COVID because they had all gone into Big Brother before it all happened they were all safe and it was like do we need to Bob, like do we need to tell them about this and that became this whole like moral debate yeah. as to whether or not they like needed to know is it just gonna worry them if it, it can't a, affect them right now maybe their families are dude that could, that could be a whole plotline in Truman show where COVID happens
1: and yeah. like they're just like sh- we can't we have to ha- like Laura Lenny has to stay the entire time now so she can't go off and do other things like she's been doing and it's like, oh god, it becomes like the real life thing of like a married couple who hates each other has to stay in the house together the entire and time. And having to put an entire production yeah. crew into yeah. a bubble. That's kind of amazing. Okay. A see, literal bubble. So someone someone's gonna steal this idea, I feel. I really feel like someone's gonna steal our idea of the Truman Show TV show. Anyway, um, more favorite scenes. I love Ed Harris in this movie, uh, as Kristoff and Paul Giamatti.
0: Great Paul chemistry. Paul Giamatti,
1: great chemistry. Like, really I I oh god, the moment okay. It's the Paul Giamatti best part of the movie for him is when ed harris is trying to like amp up the weather at the mm-hmm. end of the movie and giamatti's like he's gonna die and he doesn't even care and ed harris is like like raised oh raise more and he's like no i can't i can't do it i can't do it and it's like because in that entire time paul giamatti's been like He's been Kristoff's right hand guy. He's in everything mm-hmm. he said. He's like, he is the second in command. And he's just like, no, I'm not going to kill this guy on TV. Because again, with him, you got to realize like, these guys have been working with Truman in a way. They haven't met him, but they've been like working and like watching him like, as an audience does. So Giamatti, they had this connection to Truman in some way. And Giamatti sees him as like, it's Truman. I can't kill Truman. Mm-hmm. And Kristoff's just like, and this is whole like Christoph's this whole like godlike character.
0: Yeah. It, does he Is he a father? Does he feel yeah. like he's a father to Truman? Does he feel like, yeah, like he's a god and Truman is an ant? Like it's yeah. never super clear how he really truly feels about Truman. Does he think that Truman is purely his creation or does he see him as a human being at all?
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, again, with these kind of like themes, uh, like, like, I mean, because apparently there are a lot of metaphors in Nichols script. And like the big one is kind of the predestination versus free will idea of Truman is a person and he kind of, he wants free will essentially. And Kristoff is like, no, this is what, this is your storyline. This is what we're doing. Like, I think a great example of that is when he sees Lauren, Sylvia at the high school, when it's the flashback where he sees her. They make just this connection when they when they lock eyes, but she's not part of the story. She's again, she's yeah. an extra. The whole setup is for Hannah, Meryl, to fall into Truman's lap and have this kind of cute high school meet cute, and they're gonna be high school sweethearts and live together and get married and have a family. But Truman has this unspoken connection to this person he sees so it's like saying like you can't really control love with this but Christoph is trying to he's trying to make a TV show out of it um and I so I find all of that those layers just fascinating
3: was nothing real you were real it's what made you so good to watch listen to me Trunet there's no more truth out there than there is in the world I created for you same lie the same deceit but in my world you have nothing to fear i know you better than you know yourself you never had a camera in my head you're afraid that's why you can't leave
1: a few things real quick i want to bring up ed harris was cast two days or three days before shooting his scenes really apparently they fired an actor that shot two days worth of christoph scenes realized he wasn't working and had to do something else can you guess who that person was
0: dustin hoffman
1: no but you got the right initials dennis hopper Dennis oh. Hopper was cast
0: as Chris Doll. No, That's funny. I've always, I've always thought Dennis Hopper and Ed Harris kind of have very similar vibes, which is also interesting because neither of them strike me. That's what I kind of love about Ed Harris's performance here is he. This isn't a character that's really in his wheelhouse. No. You see him with that hat on, and you're like immediately, like, oh, he's a, he's a like a creative exec, but like that's not. He's normally like a salt of the earth kind of person.
1: Yeah, which we'll get into later with I think The Way Back, where he's kind of that like. Hardened, per like this heart. I mean, even like Westworld is this like this. Ed Harris is a dude who's seen some stuff. That's all I gotta say. That's usually what his character is like. I've been through stuff. I'm a I'm a broken man in
0: some way. Yeah, but he's yeah. He's- that's kind of that's that's what Hopper Hopper kind of has those similar vibes. So neither of them neither of them would immediately come to mind when I think this like megalomaniac Hollywood creative exec.
1: Yeah. Um, and then also one last edge. One of my favorite one of my favorite scenes. It's the it's the ending. It's the boat mm-hmm. uh, and that whole, and I think his whole conversation and we are plays it so well. Like the moment that always touches me is when care, when, when Truman hits the wall with the boat and he walks up to it and he just looks at the wall and the camera follows his hand, doesn't stay on Truman's reaction, but it follows his hand and his hand touches the wall. And just by seeing his hand, you can see like all the like, Oh God, I'm trapped here. You don't even have to see Truman's face. And then he cuts out and it's Truman like banging against the wall. And it's all done with silence. It's all just music playing underneath it. And it's just a phenomenal directing choice. And it's, and Truman's just like, I've like lost, like, how am I getting out of this? And then the whole kind of dynamic or the whole scene when Ed Harris is trying to get him to, uh, stay and the whole, uh, in case you don't see a, good afternoon good evening and good night which i think has to be I mean, that is that still a part of the culture it was a part of the culture for a while That saying i think, I think so. it
0: still is i also love in that scene cutting to the people who yeah are like cheering for him yeah even though like it's like your, your favorite show is gonna be this is you know it's tough for us sometimes when a show ends after it's, like five yeah. seasons like season 30 is coming to an end and they're like so excited for him it, it that part's really nice
1: i mean think about this like if you're watching a show for 30 years and that's how it ends, would you be happy? Like that feels like as a TV show, that feels like a
0: perfect ending to Truman's like yeah. story. Of like also got to be noted, we've brought it up over and over again. Great score, very like heavy score in this one. Great but score Weir is someone who just consistently fantastic music in his music.
1: And there's some interesting moments where like he turns like like an epic score, or sometimes it feels like a happy score in a very depressing moment. Weirdly. It happens a few times in it. And one of my favorite score moments is when Ed Harris is late at night at the studio and it's Truman's sleeping. It's a huge like screen that he's watching. And it's this kind of like father-son moment where he walks up to it and touches the screen. And it has this beautiful score playing and then Weir cuts out to a wide shot and you see it's a dude in the corner playing the piano mm-hmm. to the whole yeah. it's the score of playing the TV it, like, show. The it's show. amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh a few more things I want to bring up. Uh Wendy Stites, we haven't talked about her. And I want to talk about her because that's Peter Peter Weir's wife. Mm-hmm. And she has been heavily involved in a lot of his movies, kind of behind the scenes but never really talked about. She was production designer on Green Card, Dead Poets Society, and The Plumber. She was a design coordinator on The Year of Living Dangerously and Gallipoli. She was special design consultant on The Truman Show and Fearless. She was associate costume designer on Picnic at Hanging Rock, associate producer on Witness, and a costume designer on Master and Commander and The Way Back. Wow. So pretty much involved in all of them except like Mosquito Coast it looks like. And I think that's it in terms of like the the American ones Mosquito Coast and The Last Wave. But she had a big influence cuz Laraine talked about how her, uh, Wendy and Peter gave Lenny magazine Sears catalogs to design the lo- look of uh of Meryl the whole 1950s mm-hmm element and apparently wendy also found the location for Sea Haven, the seaside town in florida no oh, wow it, it almost reminds me a little bit of this like polly platt peter bogdanovich stuff yeah
0: that's what it sounds a lot like except, it's up it's it's up their relationship was a little bit better
1: yeah and so i don't i don't know like all she was involved in but because she has i mean the thing is, she has a lot of different art department jobs or design mm. jobs so it makes me feel like she's heavily involved and the design of a lot of these movies that he made. And I'd be f- interested to find out more because I haven't been able to find out much research on her regarding these films. But and so it's just kind of like they, she gets brief mentions in these behind the scenes scenes I've, or docs I've watched. Um, last few things. Uh, Ed Harris said when he took the movie, he goes, yeah, I took the movie because Peter doesn't make bad films. Yep. And then Laura Linney says, when asked about the movie, she goes, it's all Peter Weir. In the best possible world, every actor would have an opportunity to work with him.
0: Wow. Yeah. So
1: that's high praise. I agree. Uh, So the Truman Show comes out, big hit, gets nominated for Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, a guy who had three days to prep for the role, gets (laughs) nominated for uh, a movie. Yeah, apparently, also, too, Peter Weir had a 10-page backstory for Kristoff, also he wrote an entire backstory for the actual Truman Show show. Like what had happened up until that point? Basically, said so it started off with a mother and a son. They lived in a house. It got big acclaim. They added a dad to it, and they start building the world out of Sea Haven. That's why I think you see when he's a child, and they have that construction area, and they're like, mm. Truman, don't go there. It's because they're building more of the town. To make it a bigger show because it's, it's growing popularity throughout the years.
0: Yeah, I think this is a sign of one, how popular it was as a movie, but also like this very specific time period when it came out on home video. But I just remember I, we used to do like a yearly charity yard sale in my hometown and I, I usually volunteered for it. And there were just always like five copies of the Truman Show VHS. And I think it was because it was like right around like it came out and a bunch of people bought the VHS and then DVD hit like not long after but that was just always the first time I saw this one, I like picked up the VHS at the yard sale and like brought it home with me. Um, but that was when it was just like every year it was like, here's our like standard, like four copies of the Truman show.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was probably like peak of VHS in that, in that era of 98, 99, 2000 era. Um, but no, yeah, I I said I love this film. I think Carrie honestly probably should have been nominated for an Oscar for it.
0: I think this is I I love a lot of Carrie's more dramatic performances. Uh, Eternal Sunshine is incredible. I really love his, his Showtime show now that he does with Michelle Gondry. The um that's like basic it's called Kidding, but it's basically what if what if Mr. Rogers had like real life problems like the rest of us? Um, and he it those it, here's the thing. There's some actors There's some comedic actors very talented when they do a dramatic turn, but they're dramatic. Like, I don't want to I don't want to call Sandler out, but like a lot of Sandler's dramatic turns are very similar, like kind of brooding, you know, like, you know, like think like I understand. I I I think Punch Drunk Love is my favorite of his of his stuff. But, you Mm -hmm. know, Carrie, if you take Truman Show Eternal sunshine and this like and and him playing like Mr. Rogers, basically, he he brings such different energy. Like the thing with Truman is like he introduces some of that carry energy, but it's all channeled into this like kind of corny dad joke energy, you know, like good afternoon, good morning and good night. That's the whole kit and caboodle.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) he's still fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But it's a completely different type of person than than, you know, the Jim Carrey, the mask Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey. Um, and then, you know, that, and then Eternal Sunshine has like none of that energy.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I'm tempted to say this is my favorite performance by him because Eternal Sunshine's up there, but I think this is, and as we talked about with Dead Poets Society with Williams, I think it's the perfect kind of intersection of that comedy skill mm-hmm. with dramatic skill. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it, I, I think it's the exact same. Like we talked about. With Keating, he's able to bring some of his comedy persona to it, but he's able to turn it into a human character when both of those men were so much larger than life when they were on stage. Yeah. And the fact that both of them are able to take their comedic chops and make it very human and very vulnerable is, is extremely impressive. I'm Truman
3: Burbank. Yeah, I know. Well, I can understand it. I'm a pretty dangerous character. I'm sorry. It's not up to me. Girls got to be careful.
2: You have a boyfriend,
3: right? No, it's not that. Is it? Was it Meryl? The girl that was with me? We're not. We don't. We're not. We're just. We're friends. It's nothing like that. It's how I look. Not your type. No. I like your pen. Wondering that myself. Mm. Would you wanna, maybe possibly, sometime, go out for some pizza or something, like Friday, yeah, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? We have finals tomorrow. Yeah, I know.
1: So, 98 goes on. Truman Show's a big hit, but it takes weird five years to make another film, and that film is Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Thomas, what is Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World about? Uh,
0: Master and Commander is based on a series of novels. I think there's like dozens. Tw- I, think like- tw-
1: I think it's like 20, 20 novels or something like that. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He, I remember when I was a kid, I've, I've said before I love this movie when i was when it came out i remember being at like you know barnes and noble used to do the like showing now on screens yeah, like yeah. section where it was that was all played a at. lot that was played a uh, lot yeah and um and they had like on, for, on the far side of the world which is, is is like the first book like underneath it and i was like i'm gonna read this and then i remember like kind of walking around the the side that one was like sitting out and coming around the side and then just seeing like the full shelf all of them, the being books. like whoa maybe not i'm a little intimidated now but yeah, uh, it's based on a novel. It's adapted by Peter Weir, right? Did he adapt this one? He, he was one of the co-writers, yes. Yeah. Uh, and it follows uh, uh, the, the entire crew of, of the ship, the HMS Lucky. Um, but surprise. 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 Lucky yeah. Jack is lucky. lucky. Yeah, yeah, Lucky um, Jack. Yeah. HMS Surprise. And the captain, Lucky Jack, and his f- kind mm-hmm. of friend, the ship surgeon, whose name is Stephen. Uh, lucky Jack played by Russell Crowe, coming off of huge hot streak. Big,
1: big streak. Beautiful Mind, one. Gladiator, like one of the biggest streaks of all time.
0: Yeah, and then Stephen the Surgeon, played by Paul Bettany, recently having played with Russell Crowe in mm-hmm. um, Beautiful Mind uh it opens with an extremely exciting battle scene i still don't understand that guy on twitter who said he falls asleep in the first 2 minutes of this either. movie yeah yeah uh, it opens with the surprise being surprised by a a, a french war boat um they they're both cruising around south america at this point it's set during the napoleonic wars it's got a great little opening title that's like the ocean is now a battleground um And so they're beset upon by this French warship, tears their ship apart and Jack decides he's going to repair his ship and he's going to chase this French warship down and it will be his. And it turns into this almost kind of like a, like a more realistic version of Moby Dick where he's just like compelled by this, by this warship and we follow him and his relationship, his friendship with, with Steven and also the just kind of the entire crew and what this like relentless pursuit of, not necessarily revenge but like victory yeah kind of has on 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 all of them
1: it, it's about duty for jack that's kind of yeah. his thing but it's it's the go above and beyond yeah yeah go above and beyond duty and also like what is it pride or duty is the thing and that's kind of the debates that him and him and steven jack and steven have or the i think at one point he's just like oh no i've actually already passed where they told me to go but i just gotta catch the ship is basically what he's yeah. saying like i'm still gonna go to brazil but we're like we're going around it. We're going all the way to find this this ship.
0: Yeah, um, and Stephen, who is who is a surgeon, is is truly a, a biologist at heart, and yeah. he has wanted been wanting to go to the Galapagos and to study new species at the Galapagos. So that's kind of the the conflict that bubbles up in their friendship is pursuing this ship, which is far beyond what their duty calls for, and and getting a chance to go to the Galapagos, which which Jack has promised to Stephen. Many yeah. times that that they will go. So I know you watched this a lot growing up. Yeah,
1: I had never seen it seen it before. So this
0: movie, I, I was a pirate kid growing up. I was obsessed with pirates. Had a pirate bedroom. Read almost <laughs> exclusively pirate. Did, books. did you
1: sleep in a pirate like bed? Was there a pirate bed? Like no, a ship? I did not. But okay. I had
0: a I had a hammock. All okay. my stuffed animals were in a hammock in my room. My mom, my mom went really hard into. Uh, decorating when we moved into my house when i was a kid i remember her saying too she was like do like what do you want your room to look like i was like pirates she was like we're never we're not redoing. like if you ever redo this room you're doing it on your own and i was so like you're 17 Perfect. years old
1: pirate. Yeah, i'm never gonna
0: not like pirates mom so it's it is still that way there's a lot of beatles posters from my high school era but they're all mixed in with the pirate stuff yeah, this came out around the same time as Pirates of the Caribbean, and I, I, I think I yeah. said this last week. I was I was living my best life. I had this one on VHS. I had Pirates of the Caribbean on, on DVD, but I took this VHS to like all my friends' house, and I would show it to them. And if they some of them loved it, if they didn't love it, I was like, "What is wrong with you? <laughs> this movie is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> and it's not necessarily. I, I will say it. It's gained this reputation. Also, no thanks to the guy on Twitter as being kind of a heady film for for a blockbuster and i think it's in, it's immensely enjoyable <laughs> i think so too and i think it flows really it's like two hours but it it, it the runtime like it
1: does it flies by. by i'll be it honest with you. it sails
0: through the runtime
1: yeah it sails the runtime a lot more than the way back does I'm gonna, be, I'm, gonna yeah. right <laughs> I'm gonna i'm gonna tip that hat right now i'm gonna tip that right now um yeah i texted you during it i was because i'd never seen it before this watch and i've always wanted to see it And I text you about middle of the movie. I go, oh, this is just a hangout movie.
0: Like this is if Linklater made us a pirate movie. This would probably be it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's got this huge cast of characters that you get to know very well. Something that that so the, the series of books is very famous for being like very historically accurate. And so something that it brings up that you don't see a lot in these movies, especially not in the old like Navy movies in the Errol Flynn days, was that the kind of there you had your your sailors you had your navy men you had your marines all on the ship together but the officers you didn't go from like being a sailor to being an officer you were recruited to be an officer as like a 12 year old boy yeah and you sailed on this ship and worked your way up to an officer so that by the time you were 20 something you'd be an officer and so that's a there's, there's a really great dynamic where you've got these like 13 year old boys who are being called to like lead these grown men from the sailing crew it's kind of and, insane uh, so there's, there's some, some really nice little storylines going on there. Like the, the youngest one we follow. We also follow the oldest one who like, hasn't been able to quite crack, you know, yeah. into the officer's promotion.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a good, cause there's one of the main kids is like, there's a little kind of push him or conflict because he is more like, he's, he, he loves Steven, but he's supposed to be like a Jack mm-hmm. essentially where and it's the whole kind of ideals of like at one point i think stephen when he because when they're on the galapagos and he, and the kid comes back with like a drawn thing of all the animals and he goes i think you're a pure naturalist there kid or whatever and like it's kind of be like well he's not supposed to be that kind of yeah, it's like can i be a
0: fighting naturalist
1: <laughs> yeah can i be a fighting naturalist Cause like he's it's the trying to be the bo- both worlds of jack and stephen these are his mm-hmm. two mentors in a way and it's just kind it's kind of an interesting little conflict they have in the background um yeah because like I mean, you have you have your ship battle at the beginning you have your ship battle and not only a battle but it's like you have a sneak attack that jack and them are able to get away from about mm-hmm. 25 30 minutes in the movie maybe and then the rest of the movie is just them on the ship
0: you got a crazy them, storm ha- terrifying crazy sequence
1: cra- crazy storm um there's uh like someone gets shot at one point yeah. Uh, It's a lot of different kind of like sequences of events. And I guess that's the one thing that like this has over say pirates is pirates all about adventure. And we're going after this one goal. We got to find this. We got to find that. And this is kind of like that's, there's a goal of finding the French ship, but for a lot of times it's, like, it's about Jack being a leader and what it's yeah. like to be a leader on, and take care of all these men. I think one of the best scenes that sums this up is the scene when it's they have that massive storm and one of the guys falls overboard and he has to make a choice save the ship and save everyone else or save the one guy
0: yeah he he has to be the one to like physically cut the cord it's like yeah. if you to save the ship you have to actively kill this man yeah like.
1: basically and it and it's also by the way this is streaming or i don't know if this is streaming anywhere right now sadly yeah, you can run on amazon and all those places but yeah because uh, we're about to spoil some stuff, but yeah, it's like he, he, uh, it's a great scene that Weir does in that when, when he, when Jack makes the decision, we're gonna have to leave this guy
0: because he's yeah, thinking. And, and one of the things I love about this movie, and it's got to do with the script, and it's got to do with the way it's directed, is I, I don't know that guy's name, but we nope. we know him. Like he has been yeah, introduced yeah. to us. We are very aware of him. We, he's he's one that's introduced to us as like a best friend pair. We see them a lot as like best buddies and so that's the thing is by the end it might be you know there's a spoiler alert there's there's a, a large battle at the end and there are a lot of deaths and you might not be able to name everyone that dies but you you are emotionally connected to everyone who who you've kind of shown at the end who who's been killed like he's able to maybe not cover the entire crew but he's really able to characterize and get you invested in a lot of the crew a
1: lot of them yeah Cause I mean, you got uh, Billy Boyd, right, playing mm-hmm. uh who they cu- they cut some of his scenes. By the way, he ha- he had a little bit more scenes. Like he has a whole plot line and lead scenes of him like learning how to read. They just cut out of the movie. Oh. Um I, I could see like he was probably supposed to be a bigger part of that film than what yeah. ended up being. But yeah, it's you have these. I that the moment when he and they're directing the scene of like when he's deciding to to leave this guy, Weir shoots it with no dialogue. Mm-hmm. where crow's thinking crow looks to his guy the guy looks at him crow nods and it's like okay we're doing this and then he goes to this other younger guy does the same nod and that guy kind of we we we, we, we kind of we we feel what this guy react feel this guy's reaction because he kind of starts breaking down mm-hmm. realizing he's about to go kill his friend and then yeah. uh, the thing again about the leadership part is that afterwards jack's just like to steven when he's like he goes, we'll have to deal with this. William, that's the guy who gets killed. William had was was a favorite among the crew. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole deal of like and then and Steven tries to like, we're in this, like, we're in a war. You can't blame yourself for anyone's death. But then they have this scene where Jack asks him something, and Stephen goes, Are you asking me as a captain? Or are you asking me as a friend? Mm-hmm. And their relationship we've talked about this with with weir with how he deals with friendships throughout his movies and this is one of the best ones yeah of of these two friends who have again we've talked about this it's usually friends with varying different very different views of the world Mm -hmm. and this specifically also by the way what's the big connection they have Playing music together,
0: it's, it's, those scenes are delightful.
1: Yeah, but well, as I talked about last week, there's something about music and people's yeah. connection to music in
0: Weir's films. And they learned they learned to play those instruments. They did. for this movie. Crow still says that's one of the hardest things he's ever done. Learn to play violin just for this movie.
1: I can tell you now, Crow is so charismatic in this movie. I gotta be he, real, like he
0: truly is. That's that's you know I I I read through some letterbox reviews of this movie because I you know tip my hand a little bit this is my favorite of weir's films i think it's a masterpiece um and like a couple of some of the bad reviews were like oh no nothing changes nobody has any flaws and i think you can read jack because he's so charismatic i think you can read him as not having any flaws but i mean that's what the whole movie is about is like pride yeah it's pride yeah
3: before answering i'm compelled to ask am i speaking with my old friend or to the ship's you see, to the ship's captain, I'd say there's little I detest more than an informer. Now you're talking like an Irishman. Well, I am an Irishman. Well, as a friend. As a friend. I would say that I have never once doubted your abilities as a captain. Speak plainly, Stephen. Perhaps we should have turned back weeks ago. The men, of course, they would follow Lucky Jack anywhere. Rightfully confident of victory. Therein lies the problem. You're not accustomed to defeat. And chasing this larger, faster ship with its long guns is beginning to smack of pride.
2: It's not a question of pride or anything like Just It's a question of duty.
3: Duty, right, yes. I believe I've heard it well spoken of.
2: Well, you can be as satiric as you like. Viewing the world through your microscope is your prerogative. This is a ship of war, and I will grind whatever grist the mill requires in order to fulfill
3: my duty. Whatever the cost? ever the cost
1: it's again the friendship part it's the like and they're going for a walk on galapagos and he's just like i hope you're not doing this for the benefit of me and he's like oh i just want to stretch my legs a little bit Mm -hmm. like it's him realizing what he like he was being a a dick basically um to his friend and it's just and that's when they're just hanging out on the galapagos that's that's why i texted you saying this is just a hangout movie because i'm just (laughs) like they're just they're just hanging out on the island like playing some
0: cricket yeah they're just like having fun i was like god this is so like enjoyable yeah and that's something you didn't get a lot in these naval movies at any point you know that's a lot of people pointed to pirates as like bringing back these swashbucklers but you know if we if we dip into favorite scenes a little bit yeah. one of my favorite sequences when is is about what happens when when nothing is going on on a ship and how dangerous that can be yeah. it's the whole jonah the whole jonah sequence there's no yeah there's no wind they haven't been able to sail, and it just and it's really quiet around the ship. And rumors start flying. You know, yeah. somebody we're cursed. There's a reason the ship isn't going. They they start pointing fingers. This one guy gets kind of singled out as being a Jonah, as being a curse upon the ship. And yeah, and it's a it's it's a, this little vignette almost. It kind of there's a very definite like start and stop to that story. Yeah, and I think it's it's done so well. Yeah,
1: and, and, and it's there's a great part too when like Steven's talking with Jack. And Stephen says something about him, that guy. They're saying he's a Jonah, and Jack doesn't comment. And Steve's like, "Oh God, you think it too?"
0: Jack Jack says, "Um, Jack says they'll abide. This crew will abide a lot of things, but they won't abide a Jonah." And Stephen like is like shocked. He's like, "Oh my yeah. God, you believe in that too?"
1: Yeah, but again, and that's also kind of a thing too with Jack and the Jonah storyline. lines that the whole leadership aspect? He's like, "Oh, like here's what you should do to them," because basically Jonah, like the guy, the guy who's playing the Jonah, um, is. Like no one's taking his commands, no one's taking him seriously, mm-hmm. and Jack's like, "Well, here's what you should do: like, be hard and fast, or whatever. Uh, don't basically make them respect you is kind of his thing, and his character just can't do that. Mm-hmm. Just can't at all. There's a great I, I there they again. I looked at the lead scenes for this as well, and there's a moment I'm interested of why they cut out. Um because it's when they're flogging the guy who didn't uh salute jonah basically mm-hmm. and there's a moment where they're setting up for it and crow is like any words from like the person being flogged and the, i don't the guy says anything and that goes to Jonah or, or, or what any defense for the accused from the accused no any defense from the accuser and you would think he would step up and be like it's okay like don't do this he'll know next time dude doesn't say anything at all and, and Crow just kind of looks at him like, are we really doing this right now? We're about, I'm about to flog this guy for you, and you're about to be, like, hated now because of this. And that's what ends up staying in the movie is when he comes back down and everyone does that kind of fake salute to him or mm-hmm. whatever. This dude's screwed, basically. And that's what kind of makes his decision of, like, I can't do this anymore. And, no, it's just, I think, and, and we are very much wanted to capture the realism of the movie i like think they, like they, they spent so much time trying to get the exact sound effects for it like they mm. went to great lengths how this movie i don't think it won best sound which is a trap no it did win best sound editing so it did okay i'll ask this question i said before in our pre-show when we were talking what do you think happens to the film industry if this is a bigger success and pirates is a lesser success
0: yeah i mean that's a i think you start to get studios that have a little bit more interest in in big budget prestige picks yeah um if this if this had done really well i mean there there was a period you know this is coming off of and and you know i don't want to say that this was the make it or break it movie like this was coming off of gladiator which obviously, a huge blockbuster. I mean, I
1: mean, Titanic as well. I mean, I know it's, yeah. I know it's like six years before, but they and, and they also and, shot and we, in the same spot. They we shot saw in the same
0: movies like this continue to get made. I think, I think you yeah. know, with Crow, we can point to Ridley Scott's uh, Robin Hood as one that was like kind of subpar, but like it got yeah, a, yeah. it got a shot at it. Like it was, um, and and she, so you know, it's it's been attempted again, but I just think I don't I don't know that you could capture the chemistry of like we Doing something like this when we we've talked about it before, you know he he can do something really small. Um, but he when he gets when he kicks himself into David Lean mode, which we 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 talked about with Gallipoli, he he can handle this like any size scope. And I think that's what makes this movie. I think that's what he specifically brings to this movie is he can handle like you. I think it was in, in uh, Roger Ebert's review where he said like you like by the t- by the time you finish watching this movie you could walk around that ship yourself like we yeah. know the entirety of that ship yeah. but also we can handle these gigantic ocean battles yeah. and so he can he can handle the change from like just being in the barracks with these guys showing you how crowded it is mm-hmm. to these yeah. gigantic ocean battles of, of huge scales and i i think he's perfectly uh suited to do that i I don't know that anyone else could really handle that in the way he did
1: and that again that's the the kind of david lean aspect of it as i I think ebert actually mentions david lean in his review because lean made early on before like the big lawrence of arabia and um uh passage to india and those movies like he made brief encounter which is about Mm. two people having an affair in england and during the war And it's a very small and beautiful movie. But then does Lawrence of Arabia and makes this huge epic. But also has these wonderful character moments with T.E. Lawrence. And I really think, like, we're... So here's the funny part. I want to bring this up, too. Because another person that loves David Lean is Christopher Nolan. I didn't Mm. think I was going to do this today. (laughs) I really want to see... I really want to hear if no how how much Weir's affected Nolan,
0: because
1: hmm, yeah. funny enough, Weir's editor Lee Smith is Nolan's editor now. Really? So Lee Smith was an additional film editor on. He was a so okay. So here's here are the movies he worked on first as an associate editor and an additional film editor: Year of Living Dangerously, Dead Poets Society, Green Card fearless become he becomes the editor for fearless is the editor for truman show editor for master and commander editor for the way back he works with nolan on Batman begins prestige inception dark knight rises interstellar dunkirk and that's it so far so i think i want it's just an interesting kind of Connection.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, that's something we, we said at the beginning. We were like, we want to do this because not enough people talk about Weir. But, you know, people talk about him. Maybe just not loudly enough. But, yeah, I think yeah. if you were to ask Nolan about Weir, he would say, yeah, he's been an influence on me. Obviously, Damon Lindelof would say that. And that's something that we've, I've continued to find the more and more I watch these behind the scenes interviews with actors, mm-hmm. especially later in his career. These ac- yeah. like I, I watched uh, Paul Bettany do his, his a GQ that does the like iconic roles i watched paul bettany do his the other day and he he was like yeah i was doing really hot i just worked with ron howard like we had done beautiful mind i was coming up and then this came up and it was like yes peter weir no questions asked i want to work with peter weir and i'm sure i, I didn't do a whole lot of back background into uh the way home or the way back but i'm sure yeah that was something for a lot of there's because there's some really interesting up-and-coming actors in that movie yeah. and i'm sure when it comes out Hey, Peter Weir's doing a movie. Yeah. You just, yeah, you say absolutely.
1: And, and, well, even like, I mean, I'll, I'll say, like, the video store talk, because I, I went by the video store recently, uh, being in Los Angeles in the file video, and a discussion about Peter Weir came up. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's amazing. And I'm just like, yeah, no one talks about him. That's the thing. It's like, we all, it's like, we, it's like, we all agreed he was amazing, but no one talked about it. If mm-hmm. that, like, it's just no one did. Um, And when you look at the, 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 the scale that he's able to, capture in all of his films from small to large it's just it's kind of incredible and surprise and, and am i just because he's just, he's not a huge personality maybe i wonder if that's it mm-hmm. like i mean like i always when i watch certain interviews like round table stuff and he's he did one for the way back i believe but they always try to like gear towards the people with the bigger personalities it's the tarantinos it's or even like a ridley scott because he made the bit he made blade runner and made this And Weir's kind of just like, oh yeah, that guy, is what it feels like with those interviews. Yeah, but like when you add up all the movies, it's it's just insane. You've pushed him too hard.
2: Stephen, I invite you to this cabin as my friend, not to criticize nor to comment on my command.
3: Well, should I leave you until you're in a more harmonious frame of mind? What would you have me do, Stephen? tipped the ship's grog over the side. Stop their grog? Nagel was drunk when he insulted Holm.
2: Did you know that? Stop 200 years of privilege and tradition. I'd rather have them three sheets to the wind on occasion than have a mutiny on my hands.
3: You see, I'm rather understanding of mutinies. Men pressed from their homes, their chosen occupations, confined for months aboard a wooden prison. Stephen, I profoundly respect
2: enough... your right to disagree with me here in this cabin, but I can only afford one rebel on this ship. I hate it when you talk at the service in this way. It makes me so very low. Do you think I want to flog Nagel? A man who stood beside me on the gunnel and hacked the ropes that sent his mate to his death under orders. Under my orders. Do you not see it? The only things that keep this little wooden world together are hard work, discipline. Jack,
3: the man failed to salute. Oh, for God's sake, Stephen, hierarchy is even in nature, as you've often said yourself. There is no disdain in nature. There is no humiliation. Men must be governed. Often not wisely,
2: I'll grant you, but they
3: must be governed nonetheless. That's the excuse of every tyrant in history, from Nero to Bonaparte. And I, for one, am opposed to authority. Your opposition it is, the is egg, not my concern. Misery and oppression. You've
2: come to the wrong shot for anarchy, brother.
1: So yeah, so Master Commander it makes $211 dollars at the box office, but it costs like a hundred and fifty. So it probably didn't make its money back. It made a, it made a bit, maybe. And also, the, the kind of ending of the movie is also just kind of this. It's. it's I'm just going back to this. Like, it sets up like we got to have more of these. I,
0: this might be honestly. <laughs> and we've we've talked about we are having extremely strong endings. Oh yeah. And it's always like a cliffhanger. I don't want to call it a cliffhanger ending, but but he never. It never overstays its welcome. Nope, not at all. Know. Know. Brandon, you and I both saw a film that overstayed its welcome for about 40 minutes this past weekend. Yes, <laughs> you we did. And it can really bring down your opinion of a movie. It can. Um, but uh, yeah, I this he's he's got some of the strongest endings in movies ever. And, and this one's got to be my favorite because it's 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 really fun. It's, it's like it's almost like a laugh out loud ending, which is <laughs> kind of weird to say if you're like big naval battle movie. But it, it's such a fun tone at the end there. And it, it plays entirely off of, you know, the relationship between the two of them. Yep. We've watched oh, building and throughout the movie. It plays yeah. off of this obsession that we've been watching uh jack kind of develop throughout the movie but i remember being 12 and watching this and and just knowing you know the lexicon and this was before the mcu but just like knowing how movie vocabulary worked i remember watching it with my parents and being like all right when's the sequel coming out yeah and my mom being like i don't think this is the kind of movie (laughs) that gets a sequel and i was like but they just set it up like obviously (laughs) they're talking about a sequel and she's like i don't think it's gonna happen (laughs)
1: And then it didn't, and you're just like, "Damn it, mom, you're right." And, and you man. know,
0: and looking back now, I don't know that I need one. It's such a, it's you know, that's that's what his endings say. Is like, yeah, it's yeah. There, there is a bigger world beyond this movie, but we our story is done. Yeah, and we're out.
1: Yeah, no, I, it's yeah, it's it's, and like you said, and what I love about in that scene too is that Jack, it's like it's not played for like, it's not played ser- Actually, it's not played serious. It's played in the kind of a funny tone. Of, like, Jack just being like, oh, damn, they got me. And Steven's (laughs) kind of just finding it funny. And it's just like, all right, let's go do this. But let's continue to play music as we wait to go catch them, basically. It's just Mm -hmm. perfect. It's perfect. Um, Yeah, I think, like, meticulously crafted movie in terms of just the detail. I think that's one big thing. And I don't know if we've really talked about this as much directly. But Weir's attention to detail is just fascinating and amazing. And I also Mm -hmm. wonder, too, I'm going to throw in his wife, uh, Wendy Stites.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's got to come from from collaborating with her, for sure. Yeah,
1: because they just really know how to capture all the details of the design of a film. It gets nominated for 10 Oscars. It wins two. Best Cinematography and Best Sound Editing do you know who was uh the big winner for that year was
0: i do not what year was that
1: 2003
0: Mm -mm. that was that return of the king
1: it was return of the king Uh, okay here's the best picture race sea biscuit mystic river master and commander of the far side of the world lost in translation lord of the rings return of the king
0: that's a strong year. Other than maybe Seabiscuit. Yeah, other than Biscuit. Sorry, I, Sorry I to Seabiscuit.
1: Sorry, Toby and Gary Ross and Kennedy and Marshall. I enjoy it. I just don't think it's best picture.
0: Um, you know, I appreciate I appreciate the return of the king win as a recognition of everything that Peter Jackson had done. But but standing on its own, I I would go master and commander.
1: Yeah, I, I just I just want to let you throw that out there as the thing. I don't know if our audience is going to be upset. So we can get the hate mail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but still, ten, ten, basically 10 nominations. Only one that had more nominations that year was Lord of the Rings Return of the King with 11 nominations. Funny enough, both movies don't have anyone nominated in the acting categories.
0: Crow, Crow easily could have been nominated for this.
1: I don't know who I would cut. You got Bill Murray Lawson Translation, Jude Law Cold Mountain. Ben Kingsley, House of Sand and Fog, Depp, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, Sean Penn, Mystic River. Hmm. I haven't seen House of Sand and Fog or Cold Mountain.
0: Cold Mountain and Mystic River are both movies that they have not; their legacies have not aged that well. I, I agree.
1: Say. I agree. I think those movies that were very hot in the moment, and then just they're in. The, I'm not saying they're bad films. It's just they were big in that time and when you look at some of these movies of just how they've been able to with any Oscars, how they've been able to kind of transcend time and continue to have a legacy afterwards. And I think master and commanders legacy is slowly
0: growing. Would you say thanks to Russell Crowe, you know, crusading on, on Twitter now,
1: but you're saying, I'm seeing a lot more like every year, like reevaluations of master and commander. Yeah. Not say it wasn't bad before. Like people thought it was bad, but like, it's just you're seeing more and more. Like, hey, people should go watch this movie.
0: Especially you know, seeing how the landscape of blockbusters has changed since then. Yes, it's it's now become this thing to look back and be like, wow, this is really unique for the size and the and the budget and and what it was able to become.
1: And when they compare to, like, I think one of the articles that we that we looked at. Uh, from Rolling Stone re- revisiting ours Master and Commander, where it's like they talk about the kind of comparison of like what happens if pirates doesn't do as well, but Master and Commander is better. And it's kind of big debate or big kind of battle of like CGI effects versus practical effects. Broad mm-hmm. comedy versus dry wit. A plot that could fit on a square of toilet tissue versus one that could fill an entire role. So they're saying that Master and Commander could fill an entire role because there's so much going on. And it, I mean it's it's not a a to b plot with master commander that's why i have to say it feels like a hangout movie because there's just kind of small sequences of them just on the ship together it's not one big yeah there's one big overarching thing they're going for but it's not consuming the entire story anything else you want to say about
0: i could but but we got in, in <laughs> fairness in fairness to our last film i think we gotta, i, I, we gotta I mean on.
1: sadly i don't know if we're gonna spend too much time on this uh we'll try to anyway so so 2003 happens he makes master and commander seven years later the gap is getting bigger thomas if you notice it was five years it was five years from fearless to truman show it was five years from truman show to master and commander now it's seven years from master and commander to the way, way the way uh, master and commander to the way back not the way way back but the way back um so thomas what is the way back about
0: the way back stars uh jim Sturgis. As a uh, Polish man who is sentenced to the gulags in the Soviet he, he, Poland has been invaded by the Soviets during World War II, and he has been accused of spying. His wife has been tortured to the point of of kind of giving him up, where to understand just to kind of save herself, meaning him no ill will. But um, he's he's sent to the gulags in Siberia, which is where Soviet political prisoners were sent, and hatches a plan along with a a ragtag group of prisoners including an american played by uh ed ed harris a russian uh thug played by colin farrell and a russian actor played by mark strong um uh, it's not around he's not with us very long but you got a little solid mark strong action in there it does i, I was like what, where was Mark Strong at in his career at this point? But this yeah. was after it was after um, Sherlock Holmes.
1: It is after Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I mean it's also after after Rock and roll is the big yeah. thing.
0: Um, yeah. So they eventually break out of the Gulag, but that's not even that's just the inciting incident. It really is. Yeah. They yeah. then have to walk all the way through Siberia and Mongolia and over uh-huh. the Himalayan mountains.
1: <laughs> yes, to get which to is India. insane.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the
1: we just got a few more mountains to go over, guys. Come yeah. on. Um <laughs> uh,
0: there, there's three more kind of Russian and Polish uh characters along with them played by Russian and Polish actors who are all very talented. Not anyone you would really know. And then along the way they, they pick up a, a young uh Polish girl played by Ser Ronan. Surprise.
1: Coming off of atonement, I think is what it is, right? Yeah. It's a Atonement and Lovely Bones. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the way back. <laughs> I watched this last night um, for the first time ever. I wonder if I would have liked it more if I knew it wasn't Peter Weir.
0: <laughs> you know, that's that's I, I told myself I watched it for the first time last night as well. Mm-hmm. And it was one. I, I told myself yesterday, I was like hyping myself up to watch it. And I, I was like, why have I avoided this all the years? And I said, I, I just didn't remember hearing anything about it when it came out. I knew it came out. I didn't know it was weird at the time. And it like I didn't hear bad things. I didn't hear good things. It just kind of flew under the radar. And so that had always that always kind of deterred me from it. But then last night I was about to put it on. I saw it had like a positive Rotten Tomatoes rating. And I said, you know what? This whole month has been devoted to people not talking about weird enough. Maybe. That's the case here. It's one of those, yeah. And I'm sorry to say, it's not the case. I think this is one of his weaker films. <laughs> um, Same. It's just it doesn't have, and and this is the thing we've always been fighting against him being depicted as a as a workman director, because and this
1: feels like it.
0: This this has the least amount of his voice of anything I, I've seen him make. You know, something we've come back to over and over and over again is the this this like dream like quality he brings to everything even in truman show yep even in master and commander and
1: even in green card weirdly yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah and because this movie is so focused on depicting like the the just harsh realities of what these men went through you could just kind of lose all of that what makes all of his films so so interesting that, yeah that dream like and this this even has dreams in it this has like hallucin it goes into some of their like hallucinations yeah, it does. but um but it, it just it loses a lot of what i think makes we're, we're it i never really got that like stranger in a strange even though they are strangers in they a strange are. land so much of it is about them like avoiding seeing people anymore you never really get that like that that aspect of them like meeting other people one of my favorite scenes i think is when it's very brief but when these mongolians ride up on them yeah and are just like where are you russian where are you from and they're like we're americans we're going through the desert and they just kind of ride off and then they send this little boy back and he just throws them like a canteen with some water and mm-hmm. rides off again it's like good luck <laughs> you might, you're probably not gonna make it <laughs> yeah um
1: it, yeah it's because i think it's, it has good performances in it mm-hmm Like, I think, I think, I think Farrell's good. I think Harris is good. I think Serge, I think Serge Ronan's good. It's, uh, yeah, I just remember watching. Well, for one, there's one big thing that got me. And I don't, I don't like saying this. But it gets to a point where there was like no tension in the
0: movie. Yeah, it's just walking. It's just walking. And they're still walking. And they, they, and, and it's. It's, there are sequences, but it's almost like the sequences are just, we're going to die. Oh, we found some... Water. We found some s- supplies. Like, we're going to die unless we find water or food. Oh, we found some water and food. Let's keep going. Oh, we're going to die unless we find water or food. Oh, we found water or food. Let's keep going. Or it's someone was, someone was,
1: dies and we didn't, we didn't find water and food in time, yeah. but then we find it after they die.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and so... Yeah, it's perfect. It's it's very technically well handled. Yeah. Um, but it just doesn't have that extra little weird oomph to it. And I'll tell you one thing of, of many of these movies that we've talked about, it does not have a weird ending.
1: No, it kind of gives you a complete.
0: Yeah, it, it thing. wraps up in like a very strange little bow. You've got that it like is. shot of him like walking over like all of history, the history yeah. of Poland of through like the 1940s, odd. through the 80s. Yeah.
1: yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah, it was that was odd, and I'm like, okay, because it was. I think now I think the 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 strongest part of the movie is the first half or the first like 45 minutes of the movie. It's them in the like camp, Mm -hmm. them figuring out if should they break out of the camp, them breaking out of the camp, uh, and them kind of getting away.
0: Yeah, and And you still got the tension up until Colin Farrell leaves the group, yeah. you've always got this tension of like, he's the wild card. He is, is he going to kill one of us. Is he going to give us away? And yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. They just kind of, when they get to the border of, of Russia and Mongolia, he's, he's someone of Siberia and Mongolia. He's someone who's been very proud of being Russian. And he like gets to the border and he's like, I can't leave. I got to stay in Russia. And then it's like, all right, bye. And like, bye. Yeah. Out. And then
1: he just leaves and you're like, okay, cool. And like, that's Colin Farrell going. Um, yeah, and like I feel like Saoirse Sir, Sir Ronan's weirdly used in this film. I noticed. I don't think. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad way, but like for the first few times you see her, and people go talk to her, mm-hmm. you never see them talking to her. Does that make sense? It's always yeah. just like from afar, and they always come back and they go, "Okay, I found out more about her." You're like, we didn't, we couldn't play that scene out there. Mm-hmm. Um. so it's interesting the way they, they kind of keep her there in the background and then once she starts speaking it's the connection between Ed Harris which is the stuff I like I like the Ed Harris Saoirse Ronan mm-hmm. uh, dynamic they've been bashed and strangled with barbed wire later the Russians caught me and it to a collective farm. They were cruel to me. But anyway... I had no food, and then I saw you.
3: You can't swim, can you? What? You've never been near the water in your life.
1: But I got the cross, didn't I? And you followed.
3: And you said you lived on a farm near Warsaw. Yes. Soviets didn't get that far. It was German territory. Your parents weren't murdered, were they? You made all that up. We've all done terrible things to survive. but don't ever lie to me again we've had enough of lies
1: but yeah it's just it's just something about it i was like there wasn't a lot of tension um i like said i think that the the technique is is there it's i think cinematography is great cuz it's all the same people but yeah something about it just doesn't have
0: and the, and the music didn't hit for me
1: didn't hit me either
0: and um and that's yeah. one of the
1: rare times in any of his movies where it didn't hit i mean master commander great score truman show i think is a great score as we talked about but this one just kind of just it, yeah i don't know i don't know so it upsets me
0: i want another one i want i want
1: i, yeah. want, an, I want another weird film yeah. and because it's been 11 years now and this upsets me that this is what we're having right now
0: and I know, I know there's a lot of actors out there that want to work with them. So let's roll it back. Let's do Let's <laughs> get, get something else.
1: Run it, run it back. Let's do, let's do Truman Show 2. Let's do Truman Show, the TV show. Master Command. Is there, is there a book where, where Jack Aubrey's old?
0: I, uh, there, there's 20 of them. Surely there is. You I don't can figure
1: know. it out. Let's do it. I'm down. I mean, okay. So, I mean, I, yeah. So I just, yeah. This movie, I I wanted more. I like I said, I love the Prisoner of War stuff, but it's just, yeah. It did get nominated for an Oscar for Best Makeup, though. And I will, I will agree the makeup oh, yeah. is really good. The makeup's wild. The so when they're like like and they've been in the sun for so long and they're all sunburnt That's it was great. It lost uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable, sure. uncomfortably great. Uh, it lost the Wolfman though that year.
0: <laughs> not to be confused with the Wolfman movie that was shelved for the, from that one. That one was Correct. not involved in the darks, the dark universe or whatever it's called.
1: Yeah, I would, I would side thing. I would love to do like some of these like failed attempts at the dark universe stuff before the dark universe actually happened. Like with the Wolfman, that
0: Dracula, Dracula, 2000. Dracula
1: Untold, or whatever, and Van. That Helsing, was supposed to be
0: the Dark Universe, though, right? It was
1: supposed to be, and they're like, "Yeah, didn't do well. We got cut that kinda one like,
0: out." Kind of like the Hulk movie, where it was like, "Oh yeah. yeah, you didn't know it, but that one was." It's a the, lot of jump. It's a lot
1: of jump. It's, it's a lot of like start and stop. The Mummy and all that stuff. Anyway, that was a side thing. The, October, October, will do that. Um. So yeah, yeah, I just, I yeah, I want more, and I, and so. That's all I have this to say about this. This one's
0: fine but but you know what our thesis has been throughout the month is that Weir does bring his voice to anything he does regardless of genre, regardless of yeah. budget and and that makes it pop. And this is yeah. the, really one of the only ones that I haven't really been able to hear his voice in, which is which is sad cuz also he wrote it. <laughs> and I, I it feels like honestly and and this, you know, he's someone who's made a lot of adaptations. We've talked about it. But this feels like it's the whole time you're watching it, you you kind of feel like it's adhering too close to the book,
1: which apparently you find out. I uh, I read was that it was supposedly based on a true story, but now they believe it was all a fictional story this guy created. Um
0: yeah. but they he also didn't even said deserve to get a faithful adaptation.
1: Yeah, and so I think even Weir has <laughs> called it like now a fictional story because at one point he did believe it was a real story, uh, and I think that there are like. Stories that this happened to some people, uh, but it wasn't specifically this guy's book, like this guy's story that the the book the movie is based on, the book it's based on. Mm-hmm. A lot of big stuff. I'm going to add this question. Because we talked about this Truman Show. What Peter Weir movies could be made to a TV show nowadays that isn't already being made or has been made? So Mosquito Coast is currently being made by apple tv uh picnic at hanging rock i think was made for was it prime yeah 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 and then um i think gallipoli there was a gallipoli miniseries at one point as well at one point but it wasn't like actually based on the movie but it was based on gallipoli the event um so yeah what movies do you think could be at least a one season
0: show i mean i think my top is still dead poets i would 100 percent watch that truman's truman's up there master and commanders up there i'd watch any of those as tv shows i'd really i'd really enjoy a year living dangerously same you know like some foreign reporters uh and 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 so it gives you a little bit more time to let that political turmoil kind of fester and explode um i don't know about witness i don't i don't think witness i I feel like is the most obvious answer like if you were to try to get one of these made i think witness would be like the most network friendly yeah but I think it's I think it's 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 a great little that's one of those endings that I don't one of his endings where it feels wrapped up, you know. Yes. Yes. I don't necessarily feel the need to follow John back to Philadelphia and I don't feel the need to stay in on Amish the country, farm with yeah. Rachel without John there. You know,
1: again, back to our conversation from uh, uh, last week. Uh, it's a it's a it's a fade fade out. The ending yep. fades out. Actually, the credits roll as the movie still goes. I think it witness which even is more think, of like a I think something story.
0: like fearless could be I mean they've there's been some some versions of that made but you know if you, if you made it a bigger ensemble piece maybe maybe make John Turturro the main character Ooh. and just have him kind of focusing on his group and how everyone handles trauma differently yeah
1: green card I, I wouldn't see as a TV show Unless you do limits limited series I, I think also you could do you could do a limited series of a lot of these like just a one series like Witness I think I think you could try to pull off one season but i don't i th- i agree with you i do think it's like that one is is contained pretty well um and i don't know if i want eight episodes of witness is the other thing <laughs> um yeah I, I i agree with you i think dead poets truman master and commander yeah fearless i agree with you i that could at least be a limited like a, a limited series like one year of
0: i feel like you know Lindelof could do that really well He's he's made a show about people processing grief. He's made a show about a plane crashing.
1: (laughs) That's why I haven't said like the last wave because I feel like well we've kind of already gotten that it feels like with uh what about the cars that ate Paris? Yeah, maybe
0: make it make it a little bit more campy. You know what? You know what? Go pitch that to Shutter. Ooh,
1: we got a lot of shows to pitch. We got Truman show show to pitch. Dead Poet Society. Okay, Dead Poet Society. Present day or a different decade if you do it nowadays
0: different decade different decade everybody hop over to our instagram our tiktok account to see (laughs) our pitch that we put together for a 90s 90s. dead poet society i
1: think i think you also have to make it like where it's not all dudes i would also say that you'd have to have to be like i think it needs to be a boarding school but i guess you have to be some or a private school or something
0: i think it still needs to be a boarding school that that you know being like I think there's something about being cut off from your parents. Yeah, I agree with you. Like not being able to relate to any of the faculty except for Keating. Like, yeah, I think that having Keating be like your only positive adult role model, I think is a huge part of that.
1: Is this how we really make it, Thomas? We just go, okay, here are three ideas.
0: Here are three ideas. If you if you go make these, (laughs) you are now legally obligated to give us some of the money. That's that's how this works.
1: Um, Okay next big thing the biggest thing final rankings of these movies yep. how do you want to do this because I have my rankings you have your rankings do you want to go like spot by spot we alternate type, type deal or all at
0: once let's do that for the top five and then we'll round them out separately spot by spot for the top five okay and so then- okay
1: cop- yeah, the rest are separate okay copy copy that
0: yeah
1: okay do you who want, you want to go first I think I think, f-
0: I think number one has been pretty obvious
1: for you not for me
0: oh really okay all right well my number <laughs> one is master and commander the far side of the world
1: well number one for me uh is Truman Show
0: yeah there right, we go that's what... yeah all right I've got two I've got dead poets number two
1: okay see two I have master and commander far side of the world It's wow, when am I gonna different... get to Truman Show you Th- don't even know I I don't know I'm, I'm really gonna be upset if it's like outside of the top five uh I'm actually gonna be upset if it's out of the top out of the top three, probably. Um,
0: <laughs> what do you have for three?
1: Uh, Dead Poets. I will say this today: Master Commanders 2, But I, I was, I had to take my bias out of it because I love Dead Poet Society, and I could switch that to number two at some point because I have only seen Master Commander one time. But I think as a film master commander is probably better than dead poet society
0: i have to acknowledge that this this could easily switch as well but for my number three this is just when i was throwing it together i've got gallipoli
1: (sighs) yeah i might move gallipoli up for me too by the way it's not three but i i was you know what we're gonna do that right now hold on
0: (laughs) don't let me influence you Brandon.
1: no like it's it's one i mean i cried at the end of gallipoli and, and this other one i did not cry at okay so so far your one is master and commander your two is dead poet society number three is gallipoli my what? one two three is truman show master and commander dead poet society what's your four
0: uh truman show
1: okay there we go <laughs> i can deal with that i can deal with that my number four okay. is gallipoli now <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs> Well, right truman- uh, five five will be interesting to see if we have the same top five i mean you know all the same films contained within the top five
1: yeah, I'm. I'm kind of playing my five too. Okay, what's your what's your five?
0: Year of living dangerously.
1: Wow. See my. Oh, you're gonna hate me then. My year. My mine's a little bit farther down for that. My number five was picnic of hanging rock.
0: Oh. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I'm gonna go through it. Okay. So that was my top five. Six. I've got fearless. Okay. Seven witness.
1: Okay.
0: Eight picnic of hanging rock.
1: Okay. Wow. Okay.
0: Nine green card.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Uh, ten mosquito coast. Okay. Eleven cars that ate Paris. Okay. Twelve last wave. Wow. Thirteen way back. Fourteen, sorry to the plumber. You made the lowest on my list.
1: Okay, here's what I have. Okay. Six witness. Mm Mm-hmm. Seven fearless. Okay. Eight mosquito coast.
0: Over year of living dangerously. Okay, interesting.
1: Nine, the last wave. Okay. Ten, year of living dangerously. By the way, all of these are like ranked four out of four out of five for like. So it's not like I'm. Yeah, that's that's, that's why it was thing. really hard for me. There's yeah. like
0: nothing lower than a three. I think plumber has a three. So you yeah.
1: year of living dangerously. So you're 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 living dangerously. Stone number ten, green card eleven. Again, all of so all of them, all of these from eleven to one four and above is what i have ranked four out of five number 12 cars the eight paris number 13 the way back and number 14 the plumber
0: kind of evened out towards the end
1: there we're kind of we're kind of like we're we're we have the same top four it's just alternated top the tops and bottoms yeah Yeah. but the middle part is just all 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 out of whack
0: yep but when I have everything ranked as a four, like how do I pick?
1: Exactly. That? It's like, okay, how was I feeling when I watched the movie? Will I watch this again? Uh, Like I, I almost want to, well, I'm going to move your living danger to number nine. I'm going to switch that in last wave real quick.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay. I have one. I feel happier. Right final, okay. like since we normally, you know, at the end of an episode do fantasy casting. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to take one person from a Peter Weir film and put them in in another Peter Weir film, Peter Weir film. Oh.
1: I want to put someone else in Last Wave. Paul Bettany in The Last Wave.
0: Paul Bettany, Paul Bettany is my pick as well. <laughs> you know, we we just had something he just played a role that made that got me started thinking Paul Bettany in The Truman Show. I could see that. There there were some of those vibes happening. In WandaVision, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. No, yeah, it is. You're right. You're correct. It's the, the the whole TV show thing, yeah. Uh. Yeah, we did not plan the Paul Bettany thing. No. <laughs> I was just Surprise. like, uh, who do I pick? Oh, Paul. Because the last wave, and I like Richard Chamberlain in it, but I just wonder how would that be in a more modern context, and who mm. would you put? And I think Paul Bettany would be an interesting choice for that.
0: Yeah, worth noting. We did not bring it up, but Master and Commander russell crowe is australian even yep. though he's playing a british man he's playing british man <laughs> um, yeah i read
1: i read that like that's kind of like the swashbuckling history is that like it's always australians playing british people so like, errol flynn was australian he plays like british swashbucklers uh i think the guy from the original seahawk same thing although uh,
0: technically this is a secret he doesn't he doesn't say this a lot russell crowe is actually kiwi he's uh he was born in New Zealand and moved to Australia when he was like six or something. Oh, no, that liar. Uh,
1: well, okay. So that's our that's our cast, our, our recast it for uh, Paul Bettany. So last question. You're a huge w- weirdo, Thomas.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a self-proclaimed weirdo.
1: Self-proclaimed weirdo. I have become one. What have you learned this month regarding Peter Weir? What have you gained to appreciate more?
0: The music is something that I really not put together until watching them so close. Yeah. That that he always makes really bold musical choices and they they work. And I'm not a huge synth score person, but I think they I think all of his like synth scores really work for his stuff. Also his his attention to detail and production design, which yeah. you you know kind of gave us a little bit more background on that today. That that it's a lot of his collaboration with his wife that's all kind of something that's come to the forefront. You know, I, 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 we went into this, both you and I knowing that he had these themes of being an outsider and that, that wasn't necessarily something I had tied back to his kind of like identity as an Australian until we watched his later stuff in the context of his Australian new wave films. But uh, I think especially the, the kind of rounding out of Seeing it's not just these themes he's bringing and the visuals he's bringing as a director, but also his influence in the score, his influence in the production design, his influence in the casting. Yeah. You know, with the background we've been doing, watching these behind the scenes, just finding out that these actors are like, yeah, he he would pluck these actors out, especially ones who are coming up and kind of had something to prove. And and then he would give them the, you know, everything they needed, like the toolkit that they needed to just become those characters. Uh, so many of these behind the scenes stories we're finding these actors just being like, yeah, Peter made sure that I knew who this character was and and knew exactly what I was doing and that I was comfortable. And, and so all that stuff is huge. And, and just finding out that he is truly one of those directors, one of those auteurs who has his fingers in absolutely every aspect of the film.
1: I agree with all that. I think my big takeaway is just how he became, he was a director that was able to reinvent an actor in some way mm-hmm. or help them be, help them reinvent themselves. If it's Harrison Ford coming off of star Wars and Indiana Jones, as we talked about continuously this month, um, to, for, to witness the mosquito coast to, to, re- Robin Williams kind of creating the whole persona, I feel, of Robin Williams for the 90s and 2000s generations. And then Carrie with Truman Show. And then even and to an extent, I don't say it's a reinvention, but just like working with actors at their peak with like Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's just he's able to ca- kind of really mold these superstars into more mature and... Skilled actors, if that makes sense. He turns movie stars and the actors is kind of what it seemed Even with Gibson, I mean, you said mm-hmm. with that with going from Mad Max to the uh, to Ulysses Danglars and Gallipoli, he's able to turn these kind of personas into actors and help them kind of recalibrate in some way. I think too. One thing that I I came into this not knowing much about was the whole Australian New Wave movement, and that's not just including weird That's kind of everything. But looking through that lens as I was talking about with the stranger and an unknown world, it really helped me again rethink all of his filmography and us starting from that period and seeing how it transcends over time or, or, or it transcends over time and or evolves over time. And I that was a big learning process for me. And just learning more about Australian cinema. I got multiple talks to be like, yeah, guys, there was like no films happening before this period. Like, and then all this, like, kind of homegrown talent, but even kind of these outsider film directors come in, just like it's this kind of explosion of films and -hmm. filmmaking. But yeah, I I agree with the score part. I think the score has been, it was a big thing I would start catching more and more as the movie went on. And also just the dreamlike quality that we've talked about throughout all of his movies. I think I always just kind of assumed that was Picnic and Hanging Rock. But then as you continue to go, it's very present throughout the majority of his films. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's really, it's such a kind of refreshing and in most cases comforting style, but mysterious style as well. So yeah, Thomas, is that—is that all we you have to say or all we have to say on Peter Weir?
0: Brandon, thank you for coming along <laughs> on this venture. <laughs> All of you out there, hopefully you've become weirdos over this past month. Um, If you haven't been watching along with us, you know, you don't need to do a full rewatch of his uh, of his portfolio. But I do urge you to seek some of these movies out. And I I also I think what's what's really great about studying him in this way is if you were listening to this and you're someone like us who has seen Dead Poets five times and, and, and Truman Show revisit these now and and it, i think it, it gives you a very rich experience to really appreciate what he put into these movies
1: no i agree completely and if you have any suggestions for future directors that you guys want to hear contact us our email is uh podcast at gmail.com or just tweet us comment on us on facebook comment on a post on facebook dm us on instagram whatever you want to uh but i because i we've never done this before with a director and i thoroughly enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and honestly can't wait to figure out what director we do next because it's always fun to like we've looked at genres as like a whole and gone through it but this is a a different experience that i've always talked about doing of like picking a filmmaker but never fully doing it so yeah Mm -hmm. i'm excited for the next stuff that's all we have for you guys today um next month guys get ready we're doing journalism month hey you guys still there uh yeah we're doing journalism <laughs> month kind of all over kind of all across the board here we got a couple things planned we're gonna do sweet smell success for an older film we're gonna be doing broadcast news sweet smell success covers kind of tabloid journalism broadcast news covers uh broadcast journalism. broadcast news yeah yeah broadcast news uh you'll see other kind of other episodes we will be delving into other types of journalism throughout the month so it's gonna be gonna be a fun month so make sure you guys stay tuned and, and watch some journalism movies and make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to this show on
0: yeah guys anything anything you can do to interact with us on social media or on wherever you listen to podcasts from will help to boost our visibility so you know even if you can't even if you've recommended it to all your friends you can you can still recommend it to strangers by by taking one of those steps
1: Going on the streets with mask and everything and if you haven't already make sure you like us on facebook twitter and instagram thomas as, as always thank you for joining me
0: it's been a pleasure brandon and if i don't see you again good afternoon good evening and good night
1: and same to you and everyone out there listening hope you listen to more episodes soon bye